What's up, freaks? This is your boy Marty here to introduce this rip of TFTC. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at River. River is a company that's doing it the right way. They build their own infrastructure. They build their own wallets. They're getting their own uh, MTLs. And they've got customer support. You can call River if you have a question. Okay? And they've got a new onboarding plan. So if you go to river.com slash TFTC, you sign up by $100 worth of Bitcoin, you're going to get $5 worth of Bitcoin. River.com slash TFTC. Uh, if you want to DCA into Bitcoin, there's no fees when you DCA on River. Other exchanges have high fees, high spreads. You don't have that with River. Save some money by dollar cost averaging with River. Again, they have a customer support line. If you ever have a question, you want to call them, they will answer the phone. My neighbor called them the other week. They answered. They answered his question. They made him feel more comfortable. Good customer service. It's hard to find these days. Not with River. Go to river.com slash TFTC. Set up your account today. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends down the hall, Unchained. They're doing things the right way as well, leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties to bring you the financial platform of the future, a financial platform under a Bitcoin standard. And they have uh, their vaults, which is a two or three multi-sig Wallet where you hold two keys, Unchain holds one. You always have control of your Bitcoin since you have the two keys. Unchain's there to collaboratively sign with you if you need them to be the second in the two or three multi-sig. They also have their lending desk, which is built on this two or three multi-sig primitive. Uh, and you put Bitcoin up as collateral in a two or three multi-sig escrow. You hold one key. You don't control the Bitcoin, but you have visibility into the wallet so that you know your Bitcoin is not being rehypothecated. Uh, they also have their IRA product, uh, which allows you to hold two keys into two or three multi-sig quorum, Unchained being the other key. Uh, and you can actually transition your IRA into Bitcoin, hold your own keys. It's a beautiful thing. They've streamlined that process, uh, made it a lot easier within the last month. They've got a lot of things on the roadmap. They're about to go gangbusters on the product rollouts, from what I understand. So stay tuned for that. Uh, you can also buy Bitcoin on Unchained via their trading desk, you buy Bitcoin, go straight to your two or three multi-sig vault. Uh, so they're doing it the right way. They're really innovating. I think they're one of the best companies in the space. If you are interested in any of these products, go to unchained.com slash consultation, set up a consultation, tell them that TFTC sent you. Just learn about it. You don't have to ape into their products, but I think you should learn about them. So set up a consultation. They have a concierge onboarding team that'll walk you through everything they're working on. Unchained.com slash consultation. This rope was also brought to you by our good friends at Bitcoin Talent Co. It is a recruiting firm built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. So if you're a company in the space looking to hire the best talent, go to Bitcoin Talent Co. and get set up with them. They understand Bitcoin at the protocol level. They understand lightning. They understand mining. They have the ability to find what you need. And they come from a very strong background in recruiting. Andy led the recruiting team at Uber, taking them from, I believe, 100 to 10,000 employees. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to do this. He knows how to understand your processes. They also just launched their Flex program. So if you don't need full-time employees, if you're being hypercognizant of your burn rate and how you're allocating capital in these tough economic times, their Flex product allows you to tap into a network of workers who can work on contract and can do quick spreads for you, whether it's design, development, marketing, um, anything that you may need. So go to bitcointalent.co 
tell them the TFTC sent you. If you're a company looking to hire full-time employees, uh, if you're looking for some contract work, uh, get set up with them. And then alternatively, if you're talent out there looking to get into the Bitcoin industry, hit them up, get your profile out there uh, and get your, your name in the mix to come join the industry building out the Bitcoin standard. Enjoy this rip. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Set them all, let, let them loose. Oh, we're loose. We're loose. Bunch of loose geese right now. Gentlemen. <laughs> pod, pod two for the afternoon. Another on-ramp announcement on TFTC. Welcome back, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us again. It's weird saying welcome back since we do a yeah, show we, once a week together now. It's true. And we've been talking for two hours already today. Yes. But you're the full captain now. I am the full captain. And uh, since this is my show in my domain, I do want to get some critical feedback. How do you guys think the last trade is going? Ooh, that's a fun topic. Uh, I think it's going really well. I think that, I mean, we have several thousand people listening to our shows every week. And I think that speaks to the fact that people are interested in the business side, the finance side of of Bitcoin. Um, and hopefully we're scratching that itch for people. It's been it's been interesting. I didn't know how to think about it other than I just came from the core principle that I think we all have really cool conversations behind the scenes like about business and Bitcoin and over dinners and drinks. And I thought other people would want to have those conversations or come on and talk about their side of the business that most people don't get to hear from. Um, the, the biggest shock has been that everybody that I know that's tangentially like related to the industry listens. So somebody's listening. Uh, so that's and they've said good things. So that's been pretty cool. Yeah. Long time listener, first time caller. Uh, but I, I was, I, I genuinely do learn something or learn. I, I get like those couple, you know, sound bites or tidbits that I, I do, you know, makes me rethink um, or you know have a different perspective. It sort of builds, you know, the ideology, uh, you know, a little step deeper. So thank you guys, it's helpful. That's awesome. There's our listener right there, our one and only listener. <laughs> <laughs> no, I must say it's been fun for me. Uh, being able to scratch that particular itch within Bitcoin, business focused, macro focused. Obviously, I do that from time to time here on TFTC. Rabbit hole recaps, much more uh, technically focused. And so it has been fun. We've been doing this since what, May, June? Six months May, in? Yeah. Almost six yeah. months in? Yeah, well, I've learned that's, something that's new. I think that one of the coolest parts, I think where people appreciate, and we're probably going to have to go back and listen to certain ones, like on the trust is like the McClintocks and Gavin Furies. It's like only if you've been around long enough, you know, these guys are out there and they're just like at the top of their game in the traditional world. And then they found Bitcoin and now they're just like merging it together. And it's just, it's awesome to see. And then awesome to partner because then it just helps you from a professional sense, leapfrog. Because having those like experts are huge in this industry, specifically legal. Like, you don't have a good lawyer in this space. You're kind of you know going way off the you know wrong path or, or against the current. 
Yeah, th that might be that might be the the thing we've stumbled into with with the last trade is that like we've been able to bring in professionals who are at the top of their game who have found Bitcoin and are have gone deep on Bitcoin and are just kind of they're doing their thing in the Bitcoin world and these are voices that you don't hear from a ton normally on on your typical Bitcoin podcasts and so talking about like revocable and irrevocable trust setups and you know why they're important for Bitcoiners to be thinking about now rather than five years from now that's a topic that you know, isn't really out there enough. And so, you know, being able to, to bring in an, an expert on that uh, McClintock and, and, and make a whole show about it, I think is, has been valuable to, to our listeners. Yeah. And it's been fun to see who it brings out of the woodwork, the people that reach out and say, hey, I listen to your pod. It's pretty crazy. I mean, I've experienced that throughout the years with TFTC and RHR, but I think the last trade has expanded that universe to an even wider audience, um, which is cool to see. Yeah, and you're doing a great job hosting it, Marty. So thank you. Uh, that was going to be my next question. Are you guys thinking about replacing me at any point soon? <laughs> if you if leave we can get Logan, yeah, maybe if we can get Logan <laughs> instead of you, Logan, you it's up actually, for it? It's funny if Marty. I don't know what we would do. Uh, part of going into this, like you know, we there's strategic reasons, business reasons, and all of that. Um, and I was like, well, the commitment. But it really like has been fun because you take all the pressure off. Like you're a master at managing the conversations and we just get to come in and like talk about stuff. Uh, but it's been like almost cathartic, like to just go and just to have a conversation about Bitcoin every week. Um, so yeah, it's been fun. You've done a good job. We'll keep you around. All right. All right. Good to know. Good to know. I'm going to tell my wife one job <laughs> secured. <laughs> one of the many. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about the last trade. We're here to talk about the big announcement, obviously we're here with Michael and Jesse from on ramp. We've also got Mitch Koshman from BitGo with us. You guys have been working on something pretty big behind the scenes. Uh, this is the announcement episode for that, which is coming out alongside a bunch of PR and I'm sure a bunch of other events that are happening in Vegas next week and for months to come. What have you guys been working on? Yeah, yeah we we have been, I'll, I'll, I'll start it off and Michael, you can jump in whenever and we can just tag team it here. Um, we have been working on a suite of products centered around multi-institution custody. So at OnRamp, we've been focused on for the last year, building out a best in class solution for multi-institution custody. And we are now in a new era, we believe at OnRamp, we're in a new era of Bitcoin custody because to date there's been self-custody and third-party custody and they each have their pros and cons. Um, with self-custody, you can have outstanding security, but there are certain technical challenges and, and operational challenges involved in maintaining that security and, and setup. With third-party custody, you're trusting an institution unilaterally. They control your coins. And we've seen with FTX and Prime Trust and Fortress Trust and the whole long line of, of prior failures that sometimes that trust is misplaced because sometimes they're rehypothecating your Bitcoin or they haven't actually set up um, security with best practices and, and get hacked. Um, so there are risks there. And now with multi-institution custody, it, it leverages the 
excellent security of, of multi-sig. Uh, and instead of having a multi-sig arrangement where you hold all or all of or the majority of the keys, um, it's institutions holding the keys on your behalf as a, as a client. And you know, OnRamp coordinates that and has partnered with the best uh, Bitcoin custody companies in the world, BitGo being uh, one of them and, and our infrastructure partner as well, in order to uh, have a, a multi-institution custody setup where keys are held by OnRamp, BitGo, uh, CoinCover, or Kingdom Trust as the third. Um, and two of three of those keys are needed in order to control the assets in the client's vault. And the client is the only one with the the authority to to uh, request a transaction. And, and uh, each of those institutions that ends up signing that transaction has to verify with the end client through their specific um, processes that this is a valid trans transfer request. And so now that opens up a whole new um, world of products that are all based on multi-institution custody um, because in the spring, we at the start of this year, we launched a, a, um, a, a simple spot Bitcoin fund that used this multi-institution custody model for how we were custodying the Bitcoin. Uh, and we found that there were a lot of there was a lot of interest, a lot of demand for other types of um, Bitcoin products, specifically uh, custody. So for people who already have Bitcoin, whether that's individuals or institutions or corporate treasuries, uh, that are looking for a, perhaps a, a, a better form of custody or to diversify their how they're holding their coins. Um, Multi-institution custody is attractive to them. And now we have a product that, that meets those needs and is designed specifically for the, that use case. In addition to that, we also have a private wealth offering uh, and have figured out how to meet the needs of RIAs um, in terms of providing a, a, a Bitcoin turnkey asset management platform that incorporates um, you know the 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 on ramp way, the on ramp approach to how we're uh, um, managing Bitcoin assets and also you know uh, focusing on Bitcoin only specifically. Um, and yeah, so th that that's the those the set of products that we have announced today or yesterday, um, and we're here to talk about them. Yeah, I think. Um... I think maybe there's a, there's a few things I think uh, where it relates to BitGo and Mitch, and there's a lot of incredible um, things that have just been happening behind the scenes. And we had Mitch on um, the last trade, and so the order is going to get a little clunky, but we're recording and launching OnRamp uh, and these new products on Thursday morning, and the last trade will come Friday. So if you're interested in learning more, that'll be there. Um, but to Jesse's point, and we kind of – glossy over this because it's really not from a Bitcoin standpoint, but it's really like foundational and part of the market structure is just a pooled asset vehicle, which is effectively what we first started uh, in the spot Bitcoin trust, um, you know, even ahead of this BlackRock ETF and, and similar model grantor trust um, with a couple 
key things that we felt were necessary and that the market we've had a lot of inbound requests for it is effectively you know a bitcoin only asset management firm for a lot for a number of reasons that this audience knows why is important um but then also the the custody model uh you know not being a single having a single point of failure and then also allowing for delivery of the btc and so we have that fund um, when we launched we had a lot of demand internationally and along with domestically for you know, the fund products, international fund custody, but then also just additional private wealth services to really help from a from a core Bitcoin way of like, how do you get access to private deals, to inheritance planning, revocable trust, and all the things we've grown over our network and can help play quarterback for somebody that's holding substantial wealth, along with to what Jesse alluded to is the uh, RIA offering um, to basically be a partner. And it's really interesting because these things existed. There's a lot of firms out there that help and provide uh, like the the industry parlance is TAMP or turnkey asset management program. But what we're doing, we're, we're taking the on-ramp approach is one, offering Bitcoin only, two, offering it with the best uh, qualified custody and insurance with BitGo and execution. But then three, really marrying in what we found um, as part of our core like offering. It's not a product, but it's ultimately turned into is our research and content arm, which is really led by Jesse, Brian Cabellas, Jackson Contributes, and then the terminal that we recently launched to help asset allocators really look at and just understand what the hell is happening here uh, in Bitcoin and why it's tied to foundational fundamentals. And so we're pulling all that together to offer uh, this multi-institutional approach from the ground up. But what really is exciting and, you know, we could probably like throw it to Mitch um, after sharing this is that when we were working with BitGo, the initial approach and that we we did, and this is part of BitGo's course services and best in class tooling is they participate in holding a key and then open up their platform for others to do similar models to this uh, if they would if they want, or they can set up an exchange and, and you know, manage their keys in, in certain ways with really good tooling. How do you like, manage the whole process. But BitGo saw what we were doing and really um, leaned into the fact that what if we created this model, but every institution had their own onboarding and authentication process before ever signing and going into that deep cold storage to move the funds. And so that was always our core vision. But the reality is you need partners to make it uh, part of the reality because the requires operational like not only chops best in class but then it just has to be like infrastructure set up for that and so that's where we're, i think most excited is this underpinning is foundational for all financial products we'll offer we're starting with these three core but then ultimately we see this stemming but it's this idea that we onboard an individual and then we get them onboarded through their unique process to on-ramp and bitgo's partnership to get them onboarded with bitgo and the wallets are built and we can help with execution or we can hand that off depending if you already have BTC. And then you just get to decide based on your jurisdiction if you want your um, recovery agent, your backup agent to be in the US or outside of the US. But then at the end of the day, anytime you want to move, withdraw or participate in your asset, you know, in your custody, it requires you to come to OnRamp and then would require you also to go to BitGo and go through their best in class authentication and trust processes before assets would ever even start to, you know, movement, the movement of assets would, yeah. would begin. And so that's where we're really excited. And maybe I'll let Mitch jump in to kind of share a little bit of that. I'll, I'll, I'll first uh, highlight a little bit more of what you were talking about at the end there of like, it, it's, it's imp important for us to, to try to get across to the market. Like, what this solves for of 
um, the the rehypothecation scenario of FTX uh, having paper Bitcoin and and people ending up with a zero because um, th they thought they had Bitcoin on FTX and and it was double counted for and not there. Um, that is not possible if uh, when when Bitcoin is deposited into an on-chain vault um, that is controlled by two of three institutions and each institution needs the authorization from the end client in order to move those funds, to sign for those funds, then the end client ends up controlling that. Uh, and so you cannot lend out that Bitcoin um, and rehypothecate it like FTX did in that scenario. So you've protected against, you know, one of the big problems that we've seen with Bitcoin custodians um, over the last decade by having this, this setup that puts the power back in the end user's um, control. And ultimately it's about, you know, making sure that client assets are sitting on an on-chain vault until the client tells multiple institutions that they want it, th that money moved. Uh, and until then, it's going to sit there in an on-chain vault. Yeah, Bitco. Um, you know, we've we've been in the industry for 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 ten plus years. We've had you know some some great Bitcoiners uh, work on our Bitcoin wallet, from you know, Jameson Lop to Brandon Black, uh, and, and ultimately we made the decision that you know it's great being able to secure the assets that we do, um, you know, with our, our hot wallets and our cold storage. Uh, but we wanted to, to open up our wallets and, you know, let companies like OnRamp build great products and services really based, you know, with uh, you know, our wallets and our key signing technology uh, as the foundation. Um, so, you know, when you know, we're talking about us signing a transaction, uh, you know, what does that entail? Once, you know, user has, you know, Confirmed with OnRamp and OnRamp has signed a signed a transaction. OnRamp then goes and tells us, uh, Bitco, uh, you know, we have a half signed transaction here. What we're doing is we're accepting a partially signed Bitcoin transaction, uh, the PSPT. We've invested pretty heavily to in, in our Bitcoin wallets to be able to do that. Um, we're accepting that half signed transaction, and then we, you know, the way that key is held, you've got a you know an arm guard in front of a bank grade vault uh, where then. You know, once you know we your admin policies have been adhered to. Once we get that that um, you know that notification, you know from OnRamp to um, you know to go sign the transaction, we then video verify um, you know end user end customer of OnRamp. Once we get that confirmation, we go into the vault. That key that we are holding is sharded uh, multiple times. Uh, different people have access to to different shards. Um, once each of those shards, uh, you know, gets resigned, uh, gets signed, keys are reconstituted. Um, Bitcoin will make the signature, and um, you know, transaction will get broadcasted out to, uh, to you know, through our Bitcoin nodes and onto the blockchain. So it's a pretty intensive process, um, but you know, the the process that you know, assets that you know are worth the amount that you know we all you know envision and you know believe they will be, um, and we treat them you know with the you know, the standard and care that uh, that they demand. Yeah, it's a pretty involved process, but I think it's important to dig into why it's important to have these layers of involvement, both from the on-ramp verification to the signing of your part of the PSBT to then handing it over to BitGo and having them go through their process to complete the transaction and broadcast it to the network. What 
type of benefits does this provide the end user that you guys are targeting? I think from a layman perspective, we can go into the nuance. It's basically like the three, whatever the person's best three companies, let's pretend gold, uh, Coinbase is the, the standard, right? Michael Saylor holds his Bitcoin there. You effectively get three Coinbases. There's processes behind every authentication before keys are ever signed and moved. And so ultimately, like I always think about your audience, Marty, and, and uh, a lot of folks that are holding keys and, and doing a lot of things that would never use something like this, where I always think about this is this is the product for my mother-in-law uh, or the friend that has not been able to get in the space because they've been concerned with, well, what if they go under? What if they rug me? What if they rehypothecate the collateral? And all of these things that we're talking about from redundancies to fault tolerance or how we thought about building up this business. So we can get the trade-offs of both sides of, okay, I'm not ready to take self-custody. I'm, re- I'm not ready to learn every learn the different aspects of it, but I'm also not ready to trust a single custodian is there a better way that I can get material allocation without feeling um, like what the what's happened? Basically, we keep saying the past 12 months, it's really the past 15 years. You can go all the way back to Gox, Kodriga, all the different exit scams. Like people inherently understand like there's something, you know, wrong with a central entity holding the asset. It's just like, well, what is the solution? And we feel like we've, uh, we're onto something with being able to solve for this. Yeah. And, and to, to spell that out, like, there, there's really there's there's two types of um, of people. Um, there's people who understand and have done their homework and are technical enough to be confident with a self custody setup. Uh, and if that's you, awesome. And and if you're listening to this, frankly, that's probably you. Like you're you have the chops. You've you've done the homework, um, and you can handle your own self custody. And that's fantastic security. But for a lot of people, um, the, the barrier to entry for self-custody is daunting. And you can screw it up. Um, and it also can, you can be deterred from taking on, on you know, a Bitcoin allocation because you hear about you know, how you have to have multiple hardware wallets set up and they're supposed to talk to each other in some weird way. And and, and it sounds like a bunch of homework. It sounds like a, a, a major technical project to dig into. And so you just put it off and you decide, you know what, maybe Bitcoin's not for me. And I think that's most people. That's most people who don't have Bitcoin today, um, certainly. And as a result of that, you know, a lot of people um, haven't, haven't taken the dive into Bitcoin and, and gotten an allocation. Um, so you know, there's there's people who who are are capable of self custody and if and great if that's you, fantastic. Um, and then there's the people who default to a third party custodian, whether that's leaving their their coins on Coinbase, whether they think you know what GBTC is the right thing for me. Um, but that also includes a, a huge group of, a huge group that just decides you know what I'm not capable of self custody and. And these other custodians like FTX scare me. And so as a result, I'm just not going to touch Bitcoin. And I think that our solution, the on-ramp multi-institution custody model, um, provides the ease for for investors, and uh, whether that's individuals or or institutions, the ease of third-party custody, um, but the security of a best-in-class multi-sig self-custody approach, uh, and that's specifically because um, in this multi, 
in the on-ramp multi-institution custody model, on-ramp and none of the entities involved have unilateral control over your coins. And so ultimately you retain control and that it solves for the Achilles heel of the third party custodian model where, you know, because they can be rehypothecated because they sit in a specific entity's control, they can be hacked uh, and you can lose your funds as, as the end user. Um, this model solves for that. So it opens up uh, Bitcoin allocations to a, a huge group of people, uh, individuals and, and institutions who have to date not been uh, willing or able to take on Bitcoin as an, as an asset because they are unprepared for self-custody and they find third-party custody unpalatable. And so from the end user's perspective, I think it's pretty obvious that this is an optimal custody solution in terms of trade-offs, you're distributing risk, key risk among multiple institutions. If one goes down, you're not shit out of luck. The other two can move your Bitcoin. You can reset up the, the multi-seat quorum with another key agent. I think another question, which we didn't touch on on the last trade and probably is important to touch on here, going to the other side of that market, like the key agents, what gives them confidence to participate in this type of quorum. There's probably many out there who fancy themselves as very good security engineers and they've created a, a robust uh, custody solution in-house. What would make them confident that they should enter into a multi-institution quorum like this? And I'll throw that to you, Mitch. I, I think it's, you know, I think if you're you know, a Bitcoiner or someone who's paying attention to this industry, I don't know how you can look at multi-institution custody and not think that this is the future of custody. Um, you know, ultimately at, at BitGo, we made the decision to, to support this stuff because, you know, our CEO, Mike Belshi, was was the person who, who pioneered using, you know, multi-sig for, for Bitcoin wallets. And, you know, the sort of applauding and, you know, enabling, you know, innovation uh, using multi-sig, uh, you know, how could we not... Uh, help lift these these companies up and, and support them and you know if we fundamentally think that you know this could be you know the the future of custody and i personally you know do believe so you know how do we not support that model that's a model that we we absolutely um you know need to need to make sure that bitco is also a part of you know i think it's important to us that you know as this gets built out um you know, bitco's been doing this for 10 years um you know, we are we are very very good at you know, keeping keys safe. Um, you know, we have not had a security incident, you know, over over you know, the course of our lifetime. Um, ensuring that that safety uh, and that you know all you know that decade of work goes into uh, you know these models, and you know, they're done as securely as possible to ensure that you know we get this right the first time. Uh, I think that was important to us. Uh, ultimately, you know, while you know, we're all companies, we're all trying to make money. I, I think doing, you know, bringing trust to digital assets is, you know, is what we, you know, from a company, you know, value standpoint, that's number one. And I, I think, you know, we're adhering to that ethos with, with what we're doing here. And, you know, if this is the future, you know, let's make sure that's done securely. Yeah, and there's this real recognition that this opens up a large pool of capital. Like, I can't help because I'm, you know, been listening to this pod, TFTC for five, six years, and put my my like freak hat on and be like, 
man, this is doesn't sound right. Like I can hold my keys. And I think that while that's true, there's a, there's a case for, you know, the price appreciating and being a little worried about that. Let's put that one aside. Um, and to just think through from like an institutional allocator or somebody that's high net worth that is just generally used to a world, their worldview is that if I buy something, it doesn't go away. It doesn't go to zero. It's not going to, if it, somebody hacks my account cause I'm a boomer and they get in, it just gets reversed. You know, I just press a button and then I call them and they reverse the charge. And we, we just have been building and been in this space. Jesse has been running a fund. He's been writing for, for close to half a decade. Uh, I've been building in the space for close to half a decade and, and working and, and seeing all these conversations, you start to realize there's like pattern recognition in, in this um, conversations in, in individuals' heads as they look at it uh, as this, at this asset. And so we, we put this together, we believe it to be right and what, what's needed on lot capital. But something happened like close to a month or two months ago um, where we had been working based on what the market want, you know, the feedback on other vehicles. Cause that's ultimately what we're doing is we built an asset management platform with a trusted brand. We're, we're aiming to build trust in the industry by providing content and research and, and advisory services to the market. And then it's built on the foundation of a better form of custody to reduce counterparty risk. And so while we were looking at that, then it's like, well, what are the vehicles that can unlock large pools of capital that has historically not come in and then are looking to come in, but pause because of all the FTX things that happen and that will be ready, but they need to feel comfortable with it. And so we started and we found, you know, again, the fund aspect, because some people just need security exposure versus spot for a number of reasons we can talk about if, if we need to. And then there's spot Bitcoin and that spot Bitcoin can be for an individual as long as well as other exchanges who we brought on a few clients that we can talk about as well. And then uh, on the you know wealth side, whether it's a private wealth individual or somebody that's an RIA that needs exposure to all of this. Where that ties in is uh, we had a large pension intermediary that I feel comfortable in, in talking about because he came on the last trade, um, Glenn Cameron Cartwright. And this individual and his boss are uh, very knowledgeable in traditional finance. They're asset managers. They've been in, this in the, the financial industry for, I think, close to 30 plus years. They were part of the 08 crisis. They uh, looked very deeply at you know first principles thinking of what's going on, and they were gold guys. They found Bitcoin, and so they're very educated, and they're in a position where they're talking to pensions, but they're looking for a counterparty that they can in good faith go to. And again, not sharing anything that wasn't already said on a pod, I would really encourage if, if any of this is interesting to listen to that podcast. Um, I think it was like three episodes ago on the last trade, but it was just awesome because he didn't, we hadn't announced these products. We were just working on them with the vision that this is what the market wanted. And he reached out because he actually happened to be a freak and uh, the algorithm on, on YouTube put the last trade in front of him. And so we got on and he starts talking about the last trade and loving the content, but then went into what he's looking for and he can't work with anybody because of all the, the tenants and pillars that we're focused on when it comes to Bitcoin only and just understanding that like his core con core thesis is like, how can you work with somebody if, if they don't fully understand why Bitcoin is the asset? Cause then that just signals other misunderstandings. And if you're ultimately going to be a fiduciary, how comfortable can you be in parking your capital? Uh, and then the other aspect is obviously the counterparty risk. So these are pensions. This is large swaths of capital into the tunes of, you know, multiples of billions of dollars. If, if this go, you know, whoever takes on their capital. So that's, that's big. But then last is in-kind delivery. And again, from a very first principles, it's not that he wants the Bitcoin. It's that he understands that 
at a time of need, like a GFC, you're going to want the Bitcoin. You're going to want to prove that your counterparty has it. And he's just thinking, why wouldn't you be able to take it? You could take my money in, you know, you could take my BTC in. why can't you give it back out? And so he came to us basically with a problem, not a, not a solution. He said, this is what I'm looking for. And we're like, well, yeah, I mean, this is, this is our core foundation of how we're thinking about it. And so anyway, that was a long way of basically saying that's where I'm really excited. We're really excited about this is because we've just had this vision of the future of what we've been doing and building in this space. And it's been fun to see organically people come and reach out, looking at that same vision, which is an educated person. And so I think as the market gets more and more educated, as we've seen, these products start to make more and more sense because the old world of doing things clearly doesn't work as we've seen the past, you know, again, 12 months or 15 years of this like central entities holding all the assets and just trusting them to like be whole when you need your Bitcoin. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think Michael's right here that, uh, this may sound like a crazy new, um, half-baked idea, uh, to, to some people listening. But the more you think about it, the more time you spend in it, thinking about how this unlocks huge pools of capital that have previously found Bitcoin inaccessible or you know not willing to go there. Um, it, you know, it, it starts. To, you start to realize that this is this is how Bitcoin goes through the next phase of the adoption curve. You know, it's we've we've bootstrapped from nothing to a five hundred billion dollar asset to match gold would be a 12 trillion dollar asset obviously we all know that there's a lot of potential beyond uh, just matching gold and um so you know anyway you cut it we're early on in that adoption curve and that means the bulk of the adoption curve is still ahead and all those adopters are still ahead how do we cross the chasm from the very technical people who are capable of setting up their own multi-sig um and, and listening to TFTC as a result of being very uh, technical early freaks. Um, how do you go from those folks to the, the mainstream, to the institutional capital allocators, the investment committees, where they've got seven people sitting on an investment committee. They, they can't touch Bitcoin because one, they don't want to be in GBTC. Um, uh, and two, if they're going to do self-custody, who's going to hold the keys? You got seven people. Who's going to set it up? You know, like that, that's, that's some of the problems that are out there that for Bitcoin to continue to mature as an asset um, have to be solved. And, and they're solved by making um, security and ease come together. And that's what multi-institution custody uh, is able to do. And, and, uh, and, and it's, it's possible because of, Marty, to your question earlier of like, um, our key agent partners uh, and, and infrastructure partner, BitGo, um, recognizing that this is, this is an important new wave of how, of how Bitcoin custody can and will be done uh, and leaning into that. And so, you know, we, we, we owe a, a big thanks to Mitch and his team at BitGo for recognizing, you know, they're steeped in 10 years of learning about Bitcoin custody and um, multi-sig from the very beginning and realize that this is an important new chapter in, in how Bitcoin custody can be done for some people. And it's not the right solution for everybody, but I think increasingly it will become a bigger and bigger part of how people who, you know, capital that has yet to come into Bitcoin 
finds its way into Bitcoin and specifically finds its way into, into the right ways of holding Bitcoin, the ways, you know, the, the type of, um, you know, like our fund where you can take in kind redemptions instead of like the BlackRock ETF where certain people can take in kind redemptions and that can always change um, or GBTC where nobody can take in kind redemptions. And so, uh, you know, we're excited about about what this unlocks for the for the market for the capital allocation landscape and um and you know really really appreciative of of mitch um and all of his work his, his work and his team's work for helping make it possible i appreciate it i mentioned on the last trade but i think we we have an asset here that it, it was a you know blog i read by you guys that the risk is not just the asset price going to zero, but fundamental loss of the asset, um, you know, private keys being lost and, you know, your your balance goes to zero, even if, you know, Bitcoin is you know, appreciating in value. And in order to, you know, you know, onboard these people who are on the sidelines, you need to you need to build for, uh, you know, for that risk and to reduce that counterparty risk. Uh, our CEO, Mike Belshi, at Pacific Bitcoin a couple weeks ago, said, "Right now we're built for you know for securing billions and billion dollar wallets, and you know in the next market cycle, in the next few market cycles, we we need to be ready for you know trillion dollar wallets. And there's work that needs to be done to you know to get there. And personally, I, I believe that multi institution custody and um, you know what we can do here is is fundamentally better from a counterparty risk perspective, and will help unlock the capital that ultimately gets us to you know trillion dollar wallets. So I thank you guys for uh, for setting the foundation to uh, to go make that a reality. I like this meme, trillion dollar wallets. It just sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> meme it That's into reality here. There's a. There's a theme that another. Uh, you said meme theme. We were talking about the the early, the early part of the pod. I think one of the things that makes um, last trade really special is um, bringing different ideas that haven't really been talked about. And there's this quote. I knew it was somewhere. I looked it up. It's um, so the engine of human progress and prosperity has been uh, when ideas have sex with each other. When the different <laughs> ideas have sex with each other. Who said uh, that? Who said that? It's a. Uh, there's different flavors of this, right? It's Matt Ridley. Um, but I just remember that was like one of the, the more like kind of prolific or get, get people's engines humming. But I've always thought like there's lots of things. Like me and Jesse have different um, uh, styles and that's different ideas. Um, there's BitGo and, and Belshi being a technologist and then also using the core, but then understanding Bitcoin, which are two different ideas. But one that I think is really misunderstood or not really quantified and it's such a huge opportunity for anybody listening is – while funds and asset management and all this stuff isn't sexy, it's literally been around for thousands of years, or at least like asset management and banking and all those things, and then funds for however long. But the problem is that all these people that have come in are like crypto people. So they don't get it. And so they just, they either sell you a bunch of things that aren't Bitcoin, and you can go to websites and see Solana, Dex, Top 10, Metaverse, down 80% and they have the, the gall to like still sell you it. And like they've raised hundreds of millions of dollars and they have a Bitcoin fund, but that gets a little percentage, whatever. And then they can't really educate you properly, even if they wanted to, or even if they understood, because when the market turns against them, they don't, there's nobody there to like say, Hey, like 
let's walk through what's happening. It wasn't Bitcoin, it was FTX because they put them in FTX, actually put them in Solana. So that's just a problem in itself that most of the crypto people that understand funds and traditional finance ended up in crypto. And then the other side of this, and this is the shout out to our good friend Odell and the freaks, it's like, fuck those people. Like, I want nothing to do with that. I don't want anybody holding my keys. I don't want any of it, which is perfectly fine. The problem is that like, that's not how all the money's gonna come in if we just pretty that or get, don't develop the products and solutions. And this is the, the sex of ideas of like we were core mired in that and Marty's one of them. And like we, you go through these progressions, you either get left behind or not left behind, but you either just like stay in certain camps or you continue to like grow with the trajectory of these things. And I won't lump Marty there, but I feel like Jesse and I would anchor to that of like, you know, Mitch talked about it. He was an early CASA client on the previous pod. And like, that's part of the pattern recognition and understanding of how hard this was. And does it have to be hard for his mother and his and other people to get exposure to this asset? So I think that's ultimately what we're doing here is taking the fundamental understanding of Bitcoin, how we think it will scale, reducing counterparty risk, but then taking the traditional world of asset management and the vehicles that are needed from an international perspective or domestic US perspective and marrying them together to provide the products that don't blow up and people get burned. Yeah. No, I mean, the whole meme, like Bitcoin's not for everyone is never really set well with me. I really like to anchor to as long as you have the optionality and we're sufficiently distributed at the node level, the hash rate level and the key level that all will be fine. People, it's an open source protocol. People have different preferences. They have different levels of risk tolerance. They're going to interact with Bitcoin in different ways, whether we like it or not. And again, since it's an open source pro protocol, any of this is possible. You just have to accept that as fact. And going back to Bitcoin isn't for everyone meme. Like I've, it's never sat well with me because I do think if we have the best money that's ever been created in human history, we should try to get it into as many hands as possible, despite the limitations at the protocol level, despite um, the, the limitations of the infrastructure at any given point in time. Our North Star should be trying to get it into as many hands as possible and creating unique solutions like multi-institution custody gets us closer to that. And then obviously... We still have limitations at the protocol level and second layers that we need to figure out, but I'm confident over time, as we reach those limits, people will find creative ways. Maybe they'll uh, have ideas having sex or something like that, and they'll <laughs> figure out how to scale this at the tech level as well. Yeah, I, you know, Bitcoin is for everyone. It, it's just maybe not the purest form of Bitcoin. Yeah, you know, um, Bitcoin is for everyone. It just depends on when you get into it and what kind of tooling exists at that point in time. Um, you know, as, as things keep getting better in how, uh, you know, user facing apps um, and products are set up, it, it gets easier and easier to interact with Bitcoin in some capacity, right? Like you can have exposure to Bitcoin without ever really using on chain um, and then it becomes a purist question of like, is that truly using Bitcoin? Is that, does that mean you're a Bitcoiner? Uh, and you know, it's a, it's a valid point that like you can have a definition of being a Bitcoiner that does not include that. And I think that's totally valid. Um, but you can still have access. P people who are not quote unquote purist Bitcoiners can still have access to Bitcoin and use it in some capacity. Um, and I think that trend will continue to evolve. 
And frankly, it's it's part of how this asset wins. Um, you know, it's it's by penetrating the adoption curve that um, you know this thing becomes the de facto money for the world. And then you know the the future version of the world that we all hope for flows from that. Um, and so I think adoption through better tools and and uh, products and easier to use tools and products is how we get to that end state of you know Bitcoin as a unit of account that everything's priced in Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the savings vehicle for everyone. So you know this is part of that journey. I, I think Bitcoin is not for everyone today, but we need to build the world that Bitcoin can be for everybody when they need it to be. Uh, and it's, you know, it's up to us to build the products and services that, you know, are there for, you know, for people when, when they're ready, um, you know, to go make that leap and whether, you know, whether it's self-custody or, you know, multi-institution custody or really whatever we haven't even thought of yet. Um, we've got to make this easier for people and, you know, until it is, you know, we're not going to reach that point of hyper Bitcoinization that, you know, ultimately, you know, we're all hoping for and, uh, you know, excited for. Yeah. I can hear many of the freaks clamoring right now. The biggest risk if we're putting our adversarial thinking caps on and really trying to poke holes in this is yes, you may have multi-institutional, multi-institution custody, key risk is distributed amongst those institutions. But at the end of the day, the state comes and goes to those institutions and says, Hey, you can't move this Bitcoin out. You guys are going to have to abide by that mandate. Um, which gets into the whole idea of multi, multi jurisdictional, multi institution, multi SIG custody. So with that in mind too, I mean, how, uh, Michael, I know you've thought through this, like, how do you approach that and steel man that argument? Yeah, I mean, this is my favorite topic because it's um, it's my favorite topic on the Bitcoin side because, or just in general, one, because there's no, I, I'm convinced after like thinking about this and we've onboarded a lot of folks into the custody and talked through it, that there's no perfect solution to Bitcoin. There's just like perfect trade-offs and those are different for every individual. Uh and and this like whole concept that there is like like custody and is always moving for an individual just based on whether what's the allocation size, the price, the risk factors, and all of these things. So there's never like the right form of custody it can always change. Um, there's a few different ways to answer. Like one is if there's something jurisdictionally happening and you're already working with an institution, you've probably you know already been rugged um, because that single institution has failed you. I think there's a, another understanding that's important about self-custody is the thing that keeps everybody honest. Um, so this ability to have a valve that you can take delivery, whether it's to test the system or to, to take it. Um, there's jurisdictional keys that will ultimately happen. Coin covers a partner. They sit in the UK. They're incredible. There will be others. But I where, I where I think this is like the less maybe PC or like where this all goes. And it's kind of been something that's fascinating. And we need to... Um, I need personally to read more about it is like this whole free banking uh, concept and there's free banking. And I guess it can mean a lot of things. I ultimately think it means like trust and, and um, confidence, which we're ultimately trying to build here at OnRamp. I think we're doing a pretty good start from the feedback we've gotten, but it's ultimately that like 
people fulfill their obligations and what are their obligations in a future state? And one of them might be that they're going to sign no matter what. And that's what gets valuable. And so I think that's where this all ends up is what it all comes down to incentives. And if your incentive is to do it, and we talked about it on uh, the last trade, and we've talked to investors about this, about, you know, it's a common thing that's come up historically since, you know, been in this industry of like, what about nation state, and, you know, adoption is like, yeah, well, yeah, that's a problem. But that's also why we're based here in Texas, because take, Texas has a certain stance on property rights. And uh, I've actually had institutions reach out after that. It's like, hey, can you send me some of the material to explain a little bit more about the property rights? Because one of the things we cited was just, you know, Kyle Bass and pulling the billion plus and gold bullion for Utemco down from uh, New York to the first uh, sovereign state bullion depository in North America here in, in North Austin. And so ultimately, I think that's where it all ends up. It ends up as jurisdictions, trusted, and then ultimately counterparties that sit in those jurisdictions that are just known to fulfill the obligations. And the ones that don't, they're the same ones that end up getting rugged and yeah. don't fulfill the obligation, whether it's because they're you know insolvent, didn't deliver. And that's how the market determines who are the counterparties. Bitco has been around for 10 plus years because they continue to sign, they continue to do things. And there's other institutions like that. And so I think that's the long like term answer is the, the, the firm that sets themselves up from the game theory and always fulfills will, will be the longstanding firm. And that's also why it's important to only hold, a, hold one key. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, to add on to that, uh, Marty of like sort of addressing the hypothetical directly of, um, so, you know, in that scenario, let's say, Let's say you've got your three institutional key holders, and let's say they all happen to be in the same state or something like that, and and, and uh, state or federal regulators come and say, um, "Give us, you know, give us those those keys now." Um, that's that's you know a, a risk, right? Like that that's a risk with the current like third party custody setup where a single institution holds all the keys, and so that that's a risk. Right now, um, if you were to be, if you had all of your key holding entities in the same jurisdiction, um, that's a risk with multi institution custody. However, it does require coordination across time, right? Like that, that that action has to happen on the same day, effectively, and that makes it harder, right? Like that that requires a greater coordination for law enforcement. Um, or regulators or, you know, whatever agency is acting here. Um, so that right there is like an order of magnitude harder just to, to make sure that you've got all that happening at the same time, you know, all your ducks in a row in terms of your paperwork and, and you, you act at the same, on the same moment in time, right? Like, like a raid happening in three different locations at the exact same time. That that's harder than sending a letter saying, Hey, we're your regulator, send us your assets, uh, to a, to a singular third-party custodian. Um, and then, of course, when we add in that jurisdictional layer, it becomes an order of magnitude uh, harder beyond that. So, you know, 100 times harder than than a third-party custodian holding all the assets because now you have to coordinate across time and across jurisdictions, meaning you have to have an action at the same hour of the same day by multiple different um, authorities acting in, in, in several different jurisdictions. And so you, you can see how it's still possible, but it's so much harder to execute that kind of um, action, uh, you know, by, by the state or by federal governments um, than it is with a, a, a 
you know, a single custodian holding the keys to all of Bitcoin, um, where all it takes is a letter from from a regulator saying, hey, we, we need that, give it to us, and they have to comply. Yeah, I think that's actually, um, it reminds me, it's not apples to apples, but of the block size subsidy debate or like that we need inflation or telemission in the sense of, again, not apples to apples, but it's very similar in sense like engineering around something that we haven't seen. Not to say that it can't happen. Uh, what we've seen more of is exchanges, again, go down, be insolvent, all the things we know. Uh, so you want, to Jesse's point, a step function increase in security to prevent that. And that's where you have the keys outside and not a single institution holding all of them. But it's the same concept of like, if you get too cute or too complex, complexity is the enemy of security. And if you hold, if you do too much crazy stuff with your multi-sig setup, that's how funds get lost. And so I do think there's a natural balance and there again is no perfect solution. There's just perfect trade-offs. And I think this like form model, this model is form fit for that. And then ultimately will increase as you think about, and Mitch can talk to some of the work they're doing, you know, with time locks when that's really built out. I still think it's early. I think a lot of that stuff is like multi-sig in 2018 and 19 personally. But then I think uh, the quorum size and the participation from the, the, the entities and a lot of things will will um, develop over time. But when you think about what is the natural spot, and I think Logan had pulled it up earlier, of that reducing uh, friction and counterparty risk while increasing security, and that's where we really like this model, at least for the for the foundation to start on-ramp. I, I just really to piggyback here, because I, I, I mostly agree with, with, with both of you guys, and also you know, we get this question a lot at BitGo, is you know, primarily, you know, market's shown us, you know, that the, the biggest issue that we, we have to secure against is the loss of funds. Um, you know, we have not, you know, you know, seen, you know, on, you know, great scale, you know, nation states seizing, you know, assets from citizens uh, with, with Bitcoin. Obviously, in history, it has happened. Um, but, you know, I think first and foremost, protecting against those security concerns, um, you know, is, is the priority. I think, you know, you guys have the right mindset, you know, to focus, you know, ultimately this is phase one. Um, I, I can absolutely see, you know, phase two, three, splitting between jurisdictions um, and building out, you know, this product and, and watching it evolve. Um, but, uh, you know, as, you know, obviously, you know, Bitcoiner, but you know, I've got libertarian ideals and you know, I'm cautious about this stuff as well. And I think if, you know, Obviously, custody is a spectrum, and if you're if, if this is concern number one for you, then you know self custody probably is the route for you. Um, if you want, you know, you know, don't want the concerns of self custody, then you know, you look at the you know the range of custody options as being one of them. But ultimately, like at least my you know individual opinion here is, I don't think we're anywhere close to you know the U.S. government seizing this stuff overnight. I think you know government and particularly the u.s government you know tends to operate a bit slowly um you know you see that you know with you know anything from you know, regulation in this country to um you know liquidation of assets and things like that like it's slow it's purposeful for a reason um you know it's it's to make sure like their decisions matter it's they're careful about it and i, I don't necessarily think you know you're going to have you know 
two hours to go withdraw your Bitcoin, uh, you know, and move it offline. If there ever was some sort of issue, I think we're we're gonna have some you know some time to to prep for that reality. I mean, look at the you know, what's going on with the ETF right now. <laughs> we we all are of the mindset that you know approvals coming soon. Um, you know, everyone's looking at those January dates. Um, you know, we're gonna get to it when you know when the infrastructure is right um, and. You know, it's not going to be a light switch event. So that's sort of, you know, at least from an individual perspective, whoa, you know, where, what I think about that issue. And, and that is a nod to self-custody, right? It's just like the fact that you can take delivery and it sits outside of the system always is that like question, if I am going to push draconian measures on a society or constituents, like, well, that is always your last, you know, ditch effort and you have to be prepared for it. I think what's more likely is you get a uh, government-backed ETF that locks all the Bitcoin. <laughs> that, uh, that that might be a, a more likely version of any kind of, um, you know, what we're talking about here with you know, the confiscation or request to not sign or any, any of the things that are associated with like attacking Bitcoin. I think ultimately though, like you mentioned the ETF again, like it's it's up to us as an industry to go build you know the, the ETF is going to be a great vehicle for a lot of people and it's it's up to us to build the competitor you know of why it makes sense to go with a model like multi institution custody where you have you know more control of the assets um, you know and explaining you know why that matters uh, because ultimately you know if, if everyone just goes the ETF route we have you know digital gold and you know that's great and price goes up but it's it's not fixing money it's not um, really using the asset to to what it was designed to be so uh, you know it's on us as an industry to provide those products and provide those options for users to you know to hold their bitcoin in ways you know outside of the ETF and you know pitch that value prop can we go can we go out the box uh, to have a conversation, Logan. I, I wanted to. I wanted to ask Marty. Uh, this is a key thing that comes up, and I know everybody gets it. It's like I'm going to ask Marty directly. Do you, Do you think we can uh, outcompete BlackRock? Well, I, it's funny you ask because I was just about to bring that up. I do think we can. And building on part of the conversation we had on the last trade, it goes back to how effectively can we market this type of product to the market to end users and like front run them like, and how quickly can we do it? Cause it, I think all of us on this call would agree. It's a step function improvement in terms of ways to get exposure to Bitcoin compared to an ETF where you really just have an IOU on Bitcoin sitting in Coindesk or not Coindesk, Coinbase's uh, wallets. And you don't really even have, yeah, you just have like paper exposure at the end of the day. And, it's been the meme on TFTC and RHR for years is BTC is the ETF. Like if you're going to get exposure, get direct exposure that gives you the ability to take custody. And we've, I said this on uh, the last trade after the lightning summit in July in Nashville. Like I, I do think there is a strong case to be made that we should caution people away from the ETF because yes, they may view it as this digital gold asset, uh, right now, but as we're seeing on the Lightning Network and other second layer solutions that are coming, and what we just launched at TFTC with our site with the Lightning monetization tools, like you are actually going to want to use Bitcoin. And to do that 
is going to uh, demand that you actually have the asset to send. You're not going to be sending, you're not going to be paying lightning invoices from a, from a BlackRock ETF. So whether or not we can beat BlackRock in um, stewarding people towards products that'll give them that ability is uh, a question yet to be answered. Whether or not we should is a definite yes. Um, I, I, I am confident that via uh, succinct direct communication, we can beat BlackRock at this game. I, uh, I haven't said this out loud. I hope I don't get in trouble, Mitch. Is I, uh, I asked it because I, in my bones, know that I'm not saying honor it beats BlackRock, but the right solutions do because ultimately it's basically betting on people being educated and getting educated. If everything stops today and all the information and all the writing and all the things everybody's producing and content stop, we probably don't. But as long as the market continues to get educated, and this is, again, just pattern recognition from before, BlockFi was the best example, rehypothecation, lending, the market started to price in, what that means is the same way that counterparty risk, taking delivery, and all of those things start to you know, disseminate to the market, get across. And then you start learning there's other solutions, and you see the flow. It's just a free market. Bitcoin's the best money that's ever been created. The market is starting to coalesce around that in the same way that when you build better financial products, the market will go. And BlackRock probably doesn't get rugged at first. It's going to be these other like ETFs that are sitting on, you know, maybe a different exchange, took a cut a corner, maybe rehypothecated the collateral. Um, the part I was going to say about getting in trouble. So I don't think that's the ambitious part. I think the ambitious part was that like when we talked with Mitch and BitGo was saw the vision, was excited. In my head, I was like, man, I hope, I wonder if they're like, these guys are going to compete with BlackRock on the on the fund because uh, we have ambitions for the fund. Like the fund is very like people need that exposure. They want it. They don't want to go buy Bitcoin. They don't want to set up custody and authentication. They just want to click a button. It sit there and that's perfectly fine. But then they're going to wake up one day and they're going to be like, I want the Bitcoin to pay Marty's paywall or, or the things that he's building at MASH. It's like I need it. And so building the mechanism from, again, a first principles standpoint makes sense because it's a better product forget about like being tied to the bitcoin ethos just like it's better it can be done there's precedent for this in the ecosystem in the traditional financial ecosystem with gold and silver amongst other commodities and so it was this thought well like if bitcoin uh, sees that then like coinbase right now gbtc 600k if the ultimate winner's there that's probably hundreds of thousands not millions but that's not the flow you get the flow and the custody it's well then where did people take the delivery <laughs> like it's right there with bitco like you just like you can pr offer a better product so that anyway that was like when i first had this like what if that's like their angle or whatever and then uh i know it wasn't more than likely yeah. but it's, it's a very interesting <laughs> it's a very it's interesting fun. concept yeah. because i really think about gbtc holding 600k btc printing bitcoin somebody's gonna win that from a better product and the price is only 25 dollars, and they're holding 15 billion plus or whatever what happens when it's 10x from that? That's somebody sitting on $150 billion in Bitcoin generating fees. That's the opportunity for that, just like one product. Okay. I, on the question of like, are we going to contend? Are we going to beat BlackRock? Or, you know, I, I, look, I, I definitely <laughs> space for both of us to, to play here. Uh, but, you know, I think you can't work in this industry without, you know, a bit of optimism. 
uh, you know, can be trying to fix money, you know, with, without optimism, without a bit of an edge to you. And I think as long as we harness that, as long as, you know, you know, like you said, with the, the social media and the memes, and as long as that continues, but, you know, we've got to harness that to keep educating, um, you know, doing the work that you guys do, uh, you know, with the research, with the terminal, um, you know, and keep pushing that information out there, reaching more ears. I think, you know, ultimately, I, I think the ETF is going to be for some people. That's great. I'm glad to have them on board in, in the way that, you know, we can. But, you know, ultimately, I, I do, you know, the optimist in me is, you know, believes that there will be, you know, a, a second path for, for, for those who actually truly understand the asset and, you know, want to leverage it to the capabilities that, that we can. It's nice yeah. to see that my winner's mentality speech uh, was embedded into you, Mitch. Thank you. I'm yeah. a serial optimist, so <laughs> I just, with the, the I want to make sure we win and it's not digital gold. It's more than digital gold, we fix money. And that, that's that's my mindset. Um, and I think as long as, you know, we got great people like you guys, um, you know, doing the hard work of, yeah. of helping those people, we do win. I- I didn't say before, Mitch, but you know, I think that I think that if Bitcoin makes it to digital gold, then it is almost certain to win by fixing money. Like, you know, I think that path dependence of all it has to do is make it a little bit further, and then it's going to make it to the end um, is there. So, I don't know. I, I sort of I sort of view in in a lot of my writing and what I try to focus on is like people need to people need to view it as digital gold first. Like the people who are, don't yet have any Bitcoin and still think it's monopoly money, they just need to come around to this is digital gold and you're early. And then, you know, come on into the tent. Like, you know, whether that's, hopefully it's through a good uh, Bitcoin vehicle. Hopefully it's by buying spot Bitcoin and mm-hmm. holding it in an on-chain vault. That'd be ideal. If not that, hopefully it's through a good spot Bitcoin vehicle like the on-ramp Bitcoin trust. And, you know, that even allows for some people who are going to get in, get exposure via, uh, via BlackRock and they're going to start learning about Bitcoin and they're going to become bullish. Like, you know, that, that can be the value proposition of, of BlackRock is uh, orange pilling Wall Street um, Top to of the funnel. extent that they have not. Uh, what was that, Marty? Top of funnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, top of funnel. Top of funnel, BlackRock helps. Um, I think the real winners are going to be the people who don't get exposure via ETFs, um, you know, so sort of doesn't you know, flipping that from the perspective of like which company wins, it's which which users win. The users who don't go in via an ETF are going to be the real winners, I think. Yeah, yeah it's why I was to say it's why like nobody really uh, says this, but it's like every company, if they're going to be successful, has to be an education company in this space for the next ten years. Like you have to be able to educate, explain all these concepts on like why you don't want an ETF, right? Because everything from a pattern recognition from traditional finance is like this is the easiest way to get it, and you got to get ahead of that and figure out the ways to articulate like, hey, this asset has other properties, and you may want to you know take delivery of it or need it. Because that's just what form- I. So that, that's what I reference is the hard work. Is like you guys are having this conversation every day with new people entering the space, like the company's name is OnRep, it's to OnRep to to Bitcoin. And, you know, it's a privilege to enable you guys, but but ultimately, like you said, you're gonna be educating for 10 years that, you know, that's <laughs> it's heavy stuff, but it's reality. And uh, unless, you know, 
you got to keep throttling that. Otherwise, we're not going to win. So, you know, there's a lot of work to do to go on ramp and onboard everybody to to the industry. But, you know, I do think we get there. I'm six years into educating people on this show and it's uh it's a drag. Ten more it's not a drag, it's a labor of love, but it's uh it's shit, a, Marty. It's a process. <laughs> it takes showing up, being there. It's important, but it's fun. I got ten more years left in me if that's what we gotta do. Yeah. That's it's right. also insanely insanely re- rewarding. Like, imagine, like, we all love this. No matter what we say, it's like, it's true. You, think, you talk about the conversations, Mitch, it's like having thousands of conversations on like onboarding, consultations, conversions, like helping them move over. It's like never gotten tired of it because somebody's eyes are always like glimmer, glimmer, like, what are we doing? Like, we're taking possession, like, we're taking money. You know, the whole thing is just, it's like the thing, once you find it, you just latch on to it because it's going to, what's going to give you the energy to get past all like the bullshit when it, when it comes. Yeah, that's a real Bitcoin dopamine hit. It's not the likes on Twitter. It's the uh, aha moment going off in somebody else's eyes where you're like, yeah, 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 you yeah. got That's it. why Larry Lapard is so amazing because that's just like, he's a microcosm of like the, the generation that you get to see behind the scenes that see it. And there's just something magical about somebody that so, thinks that they saw everything in their life. Like it was it. And then they see this and it's like, oh my God, I have another like 30 years. I mean, the, the people that have reached out from TradFi that have like want to dust off their, um, what did they, what are they carrying? Bookcases? What are the, what are the? Briefcases. Is, Briefcases, Brief yeah. Yeah. They want to <laughs> dust off. One of these bad yeah. boys. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they want to dust off the briefcase and they're sitting there retired and they're just like, look, I know exactly how to position this for all the people that are, are looking. It's just been insane. Uh, yeah. it's, it's really the ultimate signal for us as far as like the talent that's interested in jumping on board. Yeah. yeah. A, a lot of those folks listen to your show, Marty. So they're listening to this right now and it, Closet it's been yeah, the closet freaks who have uh, had a successful traditional co- professional career and uh, and think that Marty might be onto something here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all closet uh, Alex Jones fans as well. I hear. I'm kidding. <laughs> Kid. When the but, price ran from from ten when it started moving, it was like the first nod my mother in law ever was like, maybe he's onto something. That, yeah. that was the most I got. And then the second one was when she saw the product, she's like you know, he might be onto something cause I might use it. <laughs> like it's, something I would use. it's something I would use. Like that's the most you get. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, that's part of where this all came from too. It's like, so, so I, I was running a, a crypto fund that, you know, in, I started in 2017 as a crypto fund because that's what I believed in at that point in time, got my ass handed to me in 2018, had to figure out, Oh, this is not about technology and, and all the crypto talking points. This is just about money. And I, and then I had to learn about money for the first time, even though I have an MBA and I never learned about money. Um, and you know, then you end up as a Bitcoin maximalist. That, that's the path that everybody walks. That's the path that I walked. And so my fund became a Bitcoin holding fund. Um, and my investors didn't need me to do that. So I you know, told them, you don't need me to hold Bitcoin. You can take self-custody. A quarter of them did, three quarters of them didn't. They didn't want to deal with it. They, a lot of them are, are boomers and they don't want to deal with it. They wanted my conviction in their inbox every month, um, you know, telling them why this is still a good thing to include in their portfolio. And that's, you know, that that's the solution that we originally built was for people like that, for, you know, the, the, the types of people like Michael's talking about here, his, his mother-in-law would fall into that sort of general category of like, 
they they don't want to deal with it. They want exposure. They want somebody to, to set it up for them right. But they d- don't want to like wade into Bitcoin themselves. They're not ready for it yet. You know, maybe they get ready for it. And I think that's one of the funny things about Bitcoin is like to do it right. You have to learn a ton. But when you're just starting, you're not going to learn. You don't know a, a ton. You, you, you've just begun. So how do you get started right? How do you get find the right on-ramp into this asset class that allows you to keep learning with a Bitcoin-only educational focus and enables you to take on whatever self-custody choices you want in the future because you can take in-kind redemptions from, from our uh, on-ramp Bitcoin trust. Um, and, you know, and, and also helps you grow into this asset by helping you learn about the various idiosyncratic considerations around Bitcoin and all the financial services products that 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 are tied in with that and also helps you learn about the industry in general. Like there's a lot to learn um, and you just don't know that on day one. Like there's no way to be prepared to set up self-custody right on day one. And so as a result of that, we have a lot of people sitting in GBTC or, you know, millions of Bitcoin sitting on Coinbase and you know, thankfully that those numbers have been decreasing because, because frankly, that you know there are enough people stacking Sats, sucking that um, supply off of the exchanges and putting it into cold storage, uh, which is a fantastic trend that's happening. And you know, the, the, hopefully, vehicles like what OnRamp has built enable that to that trend to continue, so that we're pulling. Um, pulling supply off of exchanges and putting it into on-chain vaults because that's how it should be done. Yeah, just to double click, I like really underscoring that. I can't believe you just said double click. Double click, double click on that. Like really underscoring that um, anecdotally, like it's known in the industry that a lot of people coming in are exit liquidity. Like when the market's flying, you you buy and then you're just selling and you're burned for the next cycle because you're like, what did I do? Why did I do it? And either there's lots of reasons we don't have to go. It could be, you know, the, the wherever you bought didn't understand it and they were selling you something else. Um, but it's ultimately when the price is moving against you is when you need the education the most, because we all know that's when, I mean, that's just standard, you know, investment 101, right? You buy when everybody's selling, you sell whatever. It's like when the price cuts in half or by, you know, 75% is ultimately at 16 or 17K with this recent all-time low or the low. And uh, it was funny because I don't know if you remember, and I maybe won't call out the asset manager, but a large firm said, we don't need, they're like smarts. Like we don't need you guys for the research and advice and all the stuff thing. We need you guys to jump in and share stuff when the market's cutting in half that we're not the only one saying like this thing. It's like helping our guys on the market goes. And if you think about it, it's very hard for people to do that because A, they either don't understand it or B, they're selling people a bunch of other things. And so to be able to say, oh, this is why, and it's tied to these things, not Bitcoin, just goes fundamentally against everything that they're doing. And so this is a real core tenant of our value prop is the, the ability. And we're seeing it. It's almost like turning into a product. It isn't. But so many firms, exchanges, financial institutions are reaching out to us to partner on the education to either get it to their clients' hands or figure out the co kind of like market because it just helps in the adoption and ultimately the AUM because the more people know about this, it's only one way. It starts at a percent. And next thing you know, you're on a pod, you're running two pods and 10 businesses and you just launched a media company because you, you, you're all in times 10. Yeah. And that's actually one thing I wanted to bring up. I mean, we mentioned it on the last trade 
that might be the phrase of uh, the show, as we mentioned on the last trade. But uh, <laughs> like, if, if not you, then who? Like, just from all three of you, like, how crazy does it feel to be working on these particular products at this particular point in time, considering where we were just six years ago? Like, six years ago, I mean, famously couldn't get a, a job walking dogs for me personally. <laughs> Uh, Jesse, Mitch doesn't know that story. Yeah, I didn't know that story. No, either. I was I just fine as an IBMer six years ago, but <laughs> what's the story? Oh, I was woefully unemployed for about eighteen months. I tried to jump from finance to tech. Mm-hmm. I got a job as a software sales guys did good at that, but I really wanted to work up to the product management um, level of the tech industry. And I decided to quit the software sales job thinking I was easily going to be able to find a product manager job. Apparently, if you've never built anything or led a team uh, in tech, it's really hard to get a product management job. Uh, And so I didn't get one for like 18 months. This is in 2016 to 2017. Uh, I've got a finance background, an economics degree. I'm a pretty smart guy, I like to think. I got into Bitcoin in 2013, uh, was staying up to date on everything that was going on there. And yeah, in 2017, like literally rock bottom, couldn't get a, a job in the tech industry, uh, had been unemployed for so long and that that gap in my resume where people were like, all right, what the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, desperately went out to get a dog walking job and I couldn't put uh, the French bulldog harness on the fake French bulldog. So I did not get the dog walking job. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, uh, I had to walk What an home. amazing image right there to be disqualified <laughs> because of a mannequin French bulldog. <laughs> It happened. And it was rock bottom for me. I walked home from Dumbo to Williamsburg with my head head down low. Like, I have to go tell my wife I couldn't get a dog walking job. And I started the bent the next week, and here we are today. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. At that point, like, if you were to tell 26, yeah, 26-year-old Marty, who just failed at putting a, a harness on a fake dog, that we would be here right now working on the things that I'm working on personally, whether it's the media the venture side of things, I would have been like, you're fucking crazy. But again, the newsletter started because it was like, everybody's texting me, emailing me, calling me like, what's going on with Bitcoin? The price is going up. And I was like, all right, if you can't find information uh, to, to better understand this. I'll go create it for you. That's how the newsletter started. The amount of awkward Thanksgivings and family conversations you've had is just probably like insane. Yeah. Yeah. My, my in-laws definitely think I'm crazy. Sorry, Mitch. <laughs> no, like I, I'd say, you know, I, I told a little bit about I'm sort of on the last trade, my 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 Bitcoin story, <laughs> and you know, how I ended up here. But you know, ultimately, you know, 2020, I was in Argentina when you know the world was collapsing. You know, everyone, I had to get home, but I saw the impact of inflation there, and ultimately knew that day that you know I saw the value for Bitcoin and wanted to work in this industry. It wasn't until 2022, um, inspired by the Bitcoin conference. But like, I, the work that I get to, like you told me even a year ago, like this was the dream of, of doing the, the work that I do today, which is helping you know, these companies push the industry forward and you know, really set up the rails and make new change, you know, that, that will, I believe, materially matter. It's like, I'm so stoked to wake up every Monday morning and, you know, and go work on this stuff. So, I, you know, 
anyone listening that doesn't work in the industry, I, I you know, it's hard. It, you know, it, it's hours. It's, you know, you never know who's going to blow up the next day. But ultimately, I, I wouldn't trade this for the world. And, um, you know, encourage, uh, if you're thinking about it, go try to make the leap. You try to work for Bitco. It's just as a nod. Uh, Bitco has been incredible to work with. Like, I, just, I generally mean this. Um, it reminds me of my my days a little bit at Google, but mainly like as bad as the knock we work gets or got, they had the best human capital I'd ever worked with. And it makes sense if you think about like it was the hot thing. So it was pulling from traditional finance and traditional tech back in 17 and 18. And I just remember us, it was real world infrastructure, uh, similar to like a BitGo, there's real infrastructure in place that were different than like a SaaS company or something that's just selling something that's more ephemeral. And uh, this like culture and passion, which I would imagine translates from like a, you know, Bitcoin ethos and the things that Bitco works on just bred the, the engine of the company from crazy days, but it was like moving mountains because everybody was aligned and every interaction that I've had with their team from Mitch to um, peeing on the marketing side across the board. So if anybody's looking to break into the space, I can't speak highly enough of like their team and also just executing. It makes sense why they've been around for, you know, 10 plus years and are leading the way on a lot of this stuff. I, I think it, you know, I appreciate that, but like largely, you know, being in the industry for 10 years is going to attract top talent. Like we are, we are not Bitcoin only, um, you know, personally, you know, my views are, or at least Bitcoin first. Um, I like innovation somewhere else. I'm not going to stop it, but you know, I want to work on money here. Um, but ultimately like we, we get the privilege of hiring a lot of top talent, um, who are great at what they do. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a privilege to, to get to work with those people every day. And, you know, it, you're not going to see that in a sector, you know, I worked for IBM that's been around for over a hundred years. You're like, it's great. It's reliable, but you know, you're not going to get that those people who are inspired and truly, you know, struck with the opportunity that they've got. Cause you know, it's not groundbreaking, you know, at, at the point it's mature industries. Um, and unless you're working in something like this, I don't, I don't think you you get that lightning bolt. Yeah, you get the guy that can't put the collar on the mannequin. <laughs> it was a blessing in disguise. <laughs> no, it was a great. I was joking. I mean, it was it was the it was the greatest blessing in disguise. All this stuff we all know this working and it's like everything's path dependent. All I mean, the, the good things and bad things that happen like led us all this exact spot that we're here everything happens for a reason it's funny though jesse and i came from complete opposite ends he had to get like a reverse mba lobotomy and yep. i had to uh fail at getting a dog job dog walking job yeah yeah <laughs> i i was in the i was in the ivory tower and and i had to choose to uh, leave the ivory tower and then decide that the ivory tower is wrong about everything <laughs> so that was my journey the, the opposite direction but yeah, then then here we are, Marty. You and I get to write about um, the most fertile, you know, like possible landscape of topics uh, for intellectual stimulation and and, and article ideas uh, ever. <laughs> because I mean, on on the last trade, we were talking about how this is, you know, this is part of uh, this is the American Revolution. This is the spirit of of the American Independence Movement. Um, but it, but it's further. It goes back further than that. This is like, this is Martin Luther. You know, the, Satoshi po posting the um, the white paper, 
October 31st was the equivalent of Martin Luther pinning up the 95 theses on the on the cathedral door saying, um, you know, the, the authority uh, has gone too far. And we're we the people are taking back our rights in that context in in, in Christianity. Um, and then the you know the Declaration of Independence is it is the same spirit uh, focused on a different area of a different topic. It was it was um, it was patriots asserting the you know independence to govern themselves and freedom from autocracy, and then Satoshi posting the white paper is. The Declaration of Monetary Independence, which is, you know, part of this lineage. It, it is equivalent in significance, in my mind, to those two prior documents. And I think in 100, 200 years from now, it w- will be looked back on with the same sort of reverence. And so our opportunity in the here and now is to be a part of propagating that message. I mean, it, it becomes a little bit of uh, proselytizing, but that's the reality of it is that we are we are helping to take the declaration of monetary independence and translate that into a, a, a better, brighter future built on that ethos. Um, and so there's there's nothing more rewarding in that sense and nothing more exciting in terms of being able to write about any topic. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> We're going to win. Gentlemen, all three of you, I'm very excited uh, for you all doing what you're doing. Very pumped for OnRamp, what you guys are launching in collaboration with BitGo and others. We owe you a thanks. We owe you a thanks because you you saw the vision early in the stuff we were talking about and came on and had us on the first and decided to become an advisor and then, you know, co-host the last trade and uh, I think most people th- think you're full, full time uh, working with OnRamp. Uh, so no, we appreciate you seeing the vision and, and also just um, extending, you know, there's a credibility. You've been in the space for a very long time and you saw that this is something that needed to be in the market. And so it goes a long way in helping us, you know, get that message out, which we think is an important one. Yeah, I truly do believe this needs to exist. I've been, I was writing about it two years before OnRamp was even an idea. So shout out to me. I um, <laughs> kid. I but don't know if that one's true. You got to send least, me you send at least that. a year. I'll send you. I think I, I think I was incepting this in your mind uh, as part of that. So I, maybe, I gotta, yeah. maybe, maybe I'm that, re-remembering right now. Yeah, you're definitely re-remembering. <laughs> you're gonna have to go back and give credit to Michael in that post, whatever it is you wrote. Well, because right. sometimes we get concerned about like Marty leaking the alpha. There's a lot of alpha that that exists in these uh, these walls that when we have these conversations and sometimes make it to the bent. We go like, hey, Marty, put it back in the box. Uh, it's yeah. part of my job here. It's part of my job. It's uh, the alpha is sealed in an airtight container in my mind. Okay. <laughs> part of part of this launch is we do have to shout out that we will be in Vegas for Money 2020 with the BitGo team hosting an event Monday night. So if anybody's around uh, that's interested in attending, we've just posted some stuff on social, but reach out and uh, we'll do our best to, to get the attendance right. Yeah. I know we said, uh, as we said on the last trade a lot, but the conversations were actually pretty different. Um, so definitely go check out that episode as well. Gentlemen, congratulations. Uh, I'll definitely see you next week for the last trade. Um, 
have fun in Vegas. I'll let you know if I can go. Send your wife, send your family our best. Uh, you got to get home to them and, and, you know, I'll have my wife send your wife a text asking if, if you can come to hang out with the boys in Vegas for a couple of days and we'll just talk business. Nothing, nothing else. Yeah. We'll Keep see how simple. that goes over. We'll see how that goes over. Um, Mitch, it's been a pleasure Absolutely. speaking with you for the last three hours now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, been fun. My, it's been really fun. Awesome to be here. Uh, thank you for some insight into, uh, into Bitco. It's uh, really cool to see what you guys have built and how you guys are innovating moving forward. All right. Yeah. Jesse, I saw your mama. No? No. I, well, I was gonna I was gonna mention that like I don't know, people don't uh people don't realize that Bitco is twenty percent of tran- Bitcoin transactions. I didn't realize that. So, you know, learning about Bitco is part of learning about n- knowing Bitcoin. Yeah. It's what brought me like it was that stat oh, and sort of understanding the significance that you know we have to the industry is one of the reasons i, I picked Bitco. so yeah that's a lot of that's a lot of touching on the bitcoin lot. network right there <laughs> all right it's been a pleasure that's all we got today freaks peace and love Take care.